Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey guys, it's Bobby here. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the BobbyCast. You know, because of Dan and Che's record, Good Things, it's out. I thought we'd play the origin story of the group. And we did Dan yesterday. Up next is Shay and how he originally started as a solo artist. And then he met Dan at a house party. He talks about his first deal with T-Pain's record label and how they got Justin Bieber on 10,000 Hours. One of our favorite episodes from a couple years ago. Here is Shay Mooney and the origin story of Dan and Shay here on the Bobbycast. All right, welcome to episode 221. Uh, Shay from Dan and Shay, which we had your partner in. It's probably been a year or so ago. Yeah, man. And even for him, it was kind of weird coming in alone. Yeah. But my whole goal with these is to actually let people hear individuals. Yeah, this is probably trouble for me. They won't like our band after this. I don't this think is, that's okay. I think people are going to like the band more after, after, after this. I hope is, so. Do you find, and and again, it's here's the weird thing for me interviewing somebody that I kind of know. Yeah, is that there are things that I know that I would never ask, and there are things <laughs> that I I've always wanted to ask in a personal space. You, I've, it's never you're just with yeah. a buddy and you just don't ask questions. You know, like for sure. Hey, tell me about being seven. You know, that just yeah. never comes up when we're somewhere. You know. Yeah. Um. So that's why I'm excited to have you over. Because, and also, I got to prank you outside of my house. You did. I got here. I was a little bit scared. I'm not gonna lie, because I didn't know what your house looked like. I know you did, how, when did you move? Did you move? A year and a half or like so. Like a year and a half ago? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I knew that. But uh, I was just going to ask. Okay. But I didn't know what your house looked like. So I, I pulled up and I was like, I, have no, I, I was going to text you, but I was like, I don't want to be outside of like someone random's house and I didn't want to like not park. <laughs> so I get out and I ring the doorbell and what I thought was an old woman answered. Hello, who's out there? Hello? hello? That's what I did. Hello? Scared me. I, was, I was like, I'm scaring this woman because it had a camera and she's out there being like, oh, they're finally and here. And I saw your face and I was like, oh, he's... <laughs> Thinking this is real. Yeah, I was, I was a little scared. I was like, who, who is it? And you went, uh, Shay? Who, Shay who? Shay Mooney? I don't, I don't have any money. <laughs> oh, and about that time, Mike D opened you. the door. I was scared that I was going to open up to like, you know, someone prepared. Because this house is very much of like a fortress. It's, and it's I was like, this is someone safe. that's, you know, loaded. And 
Stop it. I meant, I meant <laughs> loaded as in like now, they got wanna, a gun. Do you wanna, <laughs> speaking of loaded, this, this puts me on a good question. Okay. I Googled, because I always think it's fun to Google how much people are worth. And it says that you're worth $500,000. Now, I'm not going to ask you how much you're worth because I would never <laughs> do that. I would never do that. However, it's got to be more than that at this point. After, especially if I buy rock. Especially like, oh yeah, it's a lot more. Like a little, bit, a, lot more. I, a little bit I was offended for you. I was like, the guy's written. He's, their shows are mine. Everything about you guys. See, I've set up the way my bank accounts are set up. I got checkings and savings. Yeah, yeah. It makes it hard to track. But over, right? <laughs> We're getting right into it. I'm just, right I wasn't going it. to, but you came up and you're like, your house is a fortress. You're so loaded. If I mean, I meant loaded as in like, yeah, okay, you know. Then, then I'll, I'll, punt, yeah. I'll punt from that question. Well, look, maybe it might be over that, but I got, I got a kid and getting ready for a second. So I'm, you know. And I'll also say this about you. You didn't grow up loaded. No. So it's not like this, you're, whatever you have, $50 or yeah. what I've heard is $500 million. <laughs> whatever it well, is. Well, I don't want to say anything, but it's close to that. It's close to that. If that's going to be the rumor, I'll go up to 500. That you've yeah. earned it is my point. Yeah. That you have gr- Likewise, which is, you know. Whenever I um, think about you guys, and I see you now, and you guys are, you know, I was nervous, and I'll come back to this in a second. I wasn't nervous for you when you announced an arena tour before it goes on sale because it was your first time to do an arena tour. Yeah. And just as someone who has to put up theaters and I'm nervous before they go on sale to go, is anybody going to show up because I'm doing bigger theaters this time? Yeah. So I was like, wow, they're putting up arenas. I sure hope it sells like crazy. And as I'm thinking that, I also go, man, I remember when those two dudes were just two dudes doing karaoke with Nada. <laughs> they had their first song. Yeah. We, we were, I was hassling them on the radio and you were struggling. Yeah, man. And that's we're so cool to see and even myself to feel for you going, I'm so nervous for them. As you're about to do sell out arenas. Like <laughs> Dude, it's, it's crazy, man. It's that's so crazy honestly to that's see the growth. I think that's you know, people ask, you know, do you get nervous for anything anymore? And honestly, I don't get nervous performing, you know, playing shows, as I'm sure you don't really get necessarily nervous. It's more of an exciting, you know, your heart kind of starts to race a little bit, you're excited about it. But that's probably the most nervous that you get as an artist is putting on a tour. Cause you just never know. Selling tickets is different than getting hit songs. It really is. I mean, it's kind of that, we've been trying to build this grassroots thing for a while. We've been headlining for a long time of doing small shows. And then, you know, our last tour did well. But even before that tour, I was, I was nervous. Because it's you like, you just don't know. Tuesday and Wednesday night shows. Like, yeah. you guys were the guys that were grinding doing weeknight shows. Yeah. shows and everyone else is doing what the normal Nashville thing is, do Friday, Saturday, some Thursday. But you yeah. guys were grassrooting it. Early, early, <laughs> which, which again I admire so much. But I just admire oh. hustle and grit, yeah, with talent. And so whenever you put in a re- and I saw the re- you guys announced it, the arena tour comes out, and I'm like, man, first of all, I was proud because you guys have graduated to that level, yeah. But then I'm going, please God, I hope it sells like crazy because I know, just in my little world of doing comedy, when I'm putting up a bigger theater, I'm like, oh, people like me. I hope they like yeah. me more than they used to. <laughs> yeah, as or- much as you were nervous, like just imagine, I was about thirty times as nervous as. I can imagine that you were for us. Because uh, it's like, man, even like the, the biggest room we did on the last tour was about, I think like 80, 8,200 tickets, you know, and that's like, we've done like a couple dates where, you know, we've got up there a little bit in the last couple of years, but that's like jumping from even eight to like 18 is just, that's a lot. And you know? a lot of those 18 rooms. Yeah. yeah. I was just hoping for one. I was like, just God, please let us sell out just one. Because that's like, and we were starting in Nashville too. And I remember where I was. I was back, uh, I was back home in, in Arkansas, and I was, I can't remember why I was in, but I was visiting my family. And uh, I remember we had put, you know, we we're about to put on uh, the, the tour for sale, and it was in the pre sale. 
And I was just like, when you're starting in Nashville, that's like starting in your hometown. I mean, that's, you know, that's where we all live now. That's where all of our friends are. So like when you start there and if you don't sell that out, it's like, well, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long tour. It's going to be a long tour. And another wrinkle on the Nashville show is that a home show, there's just a lot of things you have to do that's not a part of a normal show if you were in Milwaukee. Because a home show, you have to entertain so many people that you're close to. And it's the first show where you have all this production you're just learning, <laughs> yeah. and now you have all these extra people there, yeah. and you're doing freaking Bridgestone Arena. Yeah, it's like, let's, uh, you know, let's do this in our hometown when we've never done this show, ever. And it's going to be too... Luckily, it was like, that was the first call that we got. I was, cause I was so nervous that the tour wasn't going to sell. I mean, we had hoped you know, that it would do well, but it was, we got the call, and they're like, all right, we have to, we have to add it. I, I knew whenever I got the call, they were like, all right, uh, you know, the Nashville show. And I was like, this is about to be either the worst day of my life or like one of the most exciting days. And they said we were going to have to add another show because we sold the tickets. Crazy. And I was like, that is... Isn't that so crazy? Crazy, man. Honestly, like my heart was just arena. like, couldn't believe it. And that was kind of, people ask like, what are those moments where, you know, you feel kind of like, man, this is like a dream come true. I mean, that, that to me was, you know, playing venues was really more like the Ryman. <laughs> that was kind of my, when you look at the biggest bands like that I thought were the biggest bands in the world, like they were playing places like the Ryman. You know, that, that size of venue was like, they made it. They're like the biggest bands in the world. Bridgestone was never really even on my radar until I moved to town and I realized that that was a place that people did shows. And I was like, that would be pretty amazing to do. But that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, this is, uh, that's probably one of the coolest things ever. I mean, your first, it was our first arena to, to sell out. That's and a you had to add a second deal. one. Yeah. Now, you didn't just sell crazy. it well. You had to, it's, it's, it's like, I feel a proudness for you and Dan both because it's just, I've just seen, because we, we kind of came in same time yeah i've seen you go from two guys that they patched together that you guys patched together but people are like i don't know if they're country yeah I don't, that was your whole rap like i don't know if they're gonna make it yeah i don't know if that they're you know the guy can <laughs> sing okay but yeah they just didn't know for sure i mean it was i saw one of the coolest uh like it was an instagram message i think this girl had sent this picture to us and she was like i think she had tagged us and it said i saw these guys uh and it was in 2012 i think or 2013 like right after we had met and we were doing this round at Soulshine Pizza that I don't think is there uh, anymore. I think it's something else now in Midtown. And she was like, I saw these guys play around, you know, however long ago in 2013. And now I just bought a ticket to see them at Bridgestone. And it kind of took me, it took me back for a second because I was just like, man, this is just as, as they think it's, it's cool. A lot of times you're so busy with building it that it's hard to look back. And I saw that picture and immediately in that moment, it was just like, whoa, that's, that's heavy. You know, we were struggling in that moment. Couldn't. We were probably paying for, honestly, I think the deal, we, did, we weren't getting paid for the round. It was, we got a, a slice of pizza. <laughs> like that was what we were getting paid you for. You got pizza and experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and playing to where people would actually be there to listen. Yeah, yeah. Which they weren't that nice. <laughs> <laughs> but we did get the pizza, which was pretty awesome. Apparently there was one girl though that was there and got to kind of see that, which was a pretty cool moment. I don't know. I, I looked up the most Google questions about you. Here you go. Number one is, are you and Shay related? <laughs> you can answer these. I'm not gonna answer them for you. Okay. But are, are are Dan and Shay related? We're we're not. We're not related. Not that I know about. Okay. Did you 23 and me and make sure? I haven't yet. You know, it's it's I'm starting to starting to think about it now though. What is this cool would make a lot of sense for me? Is when I see you guys. I don't know what award show it was, but you guys still like each other. Yeah. To the point of, it's not just. I'll compare it to. And I'm not married. You're married now. But a marriage that's been through like 10 years and, and this is not you guys, but they're together and they just do it because they've agreed to a partnership. It's like you guys that are that married couple that you yeah. look at and go, 
wow, they still like each other yeah. after all this time. <laughs> it is, man. And it feels like that. And I think it's because it started out with a from a place of mutual respect. You know, it wasn't just this, it wasn't so much, a lot of, you know, a lot of times it's this whimsical thing that happens and, it, you know, you don't even have time to really get to know each other. You know, a lot of times in bands, it, it can happen quickly and you you didn't have the time where you were kind of grinding it out with each other on the road and doing, you know, millions of shows together. Um, and Dan and I had kind of, we had become kind of who we were going to be when we had met. We knew where we were trying to get to and uh, we just really respected what each other, you know, were doing. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's kind of crazy because Dan and I are really complete opposites in most ways, in most ways. And I think from that, you know, it's kind of like a puzzle piece. It's like he, he picks up what I can't do. He's an unbelievable producer. He makes me sound good. I can't do any of that. I, I don't know what I'm doing in the studio. So it's kind of that thing of I trust him, you know, with literally like my life and my well-being, and he trusts me with, with that as well. And I think it just kind of, you know, it's, it's, clo- it's, it's like being family, but it's really just a, I don't know, it's a really cool thing because I do, I do still like and We are still best friends. You know, it's kind of one of those things of all the time we're always looking at each other being like, I can't believe that this is, this is happening. It's just crazy. The second one is, who are Shay's parents? <laughs> who are Shay's parents? Rick and Cindy Mooney are their names. Natural Dam, Arkansas. I know everybody, probably a lot of people watching from Natural Dam. I think they just got internet, so this is probably going to be a pretty big deal. You know, you, l- you laugh about Natural Dam, Arkansas, but my town, Mountain Pine, Arkansas, we just got a cell phone tower now really? like 19 months ago. Wow. Now, where, where is that in, as far as like where Little Rock is? Because we're on the, you know... The western side of Arkansas. Right. So if you go straight down, because I know where you are. Yeah. If you go straight down, yeah. Mountain Pine is below Little Rock on the same side of the state about an hour. Okay. So left side of the state, straight okay. down. Is that toward El Dorado or is that uh, the other? It's the other side. Other side. Yeah. Okay. I, but I went to Fayetteville and I was, um, went to the Razorback game this past week. Yeah. And I don't get many weekends where I'm off. And so I went over and I took Adam Hambrick, who's a dear friend of mine. And I saw that. Is, and you were with Ronnie Brewer, right? Yeah. Ronnie, yeah, I know yeah. Ronnie. Well, they were, my points oh, were, yeah. they were asking about you. Oh, yeah, that's cool. They were like, have you seen Shay lately? Yeah. And it's, it's almost like if someone, they think we're all like related or hang out. Yeah, yeah. That we're all from <laughs> Like, Arkansas. I don't know, he's in the kitchen. Let me no, go. Like, <laughs> Where's Shay been? What's up, what's up with Shay? Yeah. I'm like, you know, I haven't seen him in probably like a month. Yeah. But... <laughs> I think he's doing pretty good. Yeah. I watch him on Instagram, but it's just funny how when we all come from Arkansas and afterward, I hung out with a lot of listeners and a lot of people that listen yeah. to the show or watch American Idol. And they were, I probably got asked about you four times. That's like, hilarious. you seen Shay lately? Just, uh, they think all us Arkansas boys run together. We should probably have a meeting. Yeah, we haven't had one in, le- in at least yeah, a couple it's been a couple months. Ever. Yeah. The chapter of Arkansas. Uh, here's one. Does Shay get paid more than Dan? <laughs> yeah, that was in the deal. I was like, look. If I'm going to sing. If I'm going to do this, <laughs> you know, you might do most of the work, but this is how it's going to be. I assume there's a, that's it. You guys are a It's an even split. Uh, as far as I know, maybe he, maybe he does. I don't know. One more. Does Dan or Shay sing Speechless? Well, we both sing. Dan sings harmony. I sing the lead. But you're the, yep. you're the, but I, yeah. Ah, I'm that. that, I'm that. You're that. That, that sounded pretty amazing. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. It, are you, do you want to join? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'd be cool. Can you imagine if I went out and just we didn't say anything about it, <laughs> just as a joke? We didn't acknowledge it. Yeah, we just walked out, and you ne- it, we didn't say anything. I just walked out, and it was like they're like Dan and Shay, and it's me, and, I, and we start speechless. And <laughs> it I don't. Would, it would totally depend on if like if someone knew that it was you or not, because if they didn't and they hadn't seen us before, they'd be like, I didn't even. I had no idea that it was three of them. Then I no no you don't come didn't out. Even know. No, oh, no, I don't come out. No, I put on like a black That's wig. Even better. 
and I never break character. Yeah. And I oh, sing it as great as I can and just we keep cameras in the crowd to see if people are stunned. <laughs> <laughs> we never acknowledge it. So well, I'll great. tell you it's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty great uh, social experiment that will happen. And I can tell you no one will get yeah. angry at that. Um so okay. One of my did you watch um Mike, what's the show called you watch? The uh, Mandalorian? Mandalorian. I did. Okay. You're a Star Wars guy, though, right? I am, yeah. So I've never seen Star Wars. I would like to, because I'm a yeah. nerd in a lot of ways. Did you like the show? And would someone like me who's never seen Star Wars like the show? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Do I need to know Star Wars? Not at all. I think you can. I think the cool part about the show is that there is, you know, if you, like, re- you know, read the books or whatever. I, I wasn't that I didn't, like, I read, like, some Star Wars books, like, back in the day. Um, but there's, like, the whole Mandalorian thing is kind of... You wouldn't really know about it, even if you were a Star Wars fan. You'd probably just think like, "Oh, that's like Boba Fett," which I guess you know, Django and, and Boba Fett would—they weren't even actually Mandalorian. They just liked their armor, I guess. So I don't know so, what yeah. you're saying right now. Yeah, and see so the, the quantum words? mechanics. So you, we <laughs> could go all into it. No, I don't really know that. But no, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the story of, of Star Wars that people would know from their kids. It's just a great. It's a really new concept, really. Even to a Star Wars fan. How fast did you take in that show? Probably like, well, because they did it in, I think they did it every Thursday. Like they released oh, an they episode a week. Oh, they dropped it a week at time. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. You couldn't binge it, huh? And I think I started, I want to say there's eight, eight episodes. And I think I started on six. Or I started when they had six out. So I watched all of them. And then I had to wait for like the next two weeks. So hey. I watched it. I think I watched six episodes in like, like a couple of days. <laughs> did you go watch the last Star Wars movie? I did. And your thoughts? I, I, I liked it. It was, it was a lot. They had to kind of button up the whole deal, which was, it was a lot to kind of It seemed throw like in the there. fan reviews were great, but the critic reviews were really not yeah. good. Well, it was kind of, you know, and I love Star Wars. I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm not the movie guy who's like, I don't usually look at the critics' reviews. If like the fan views are pretty good, I, I will enjoy the movie. Like I like a lot. I, if I go to a movie, I usually have a pretty good time. Like, I enjoy the whole experience of going to watch movies. I've always loved movies as a kid. Still love them. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it as like a movie. It was very entertaining. But it wasn't like if you were to pick it apart, there was like a lot of things that were just like, oh, that's, so he's just been alive this whole time. <laughs> you yeah, know? That's not a spoiler, yeah, right? That's not a, that's not Chewbacca? A, that's the one I know. No, not, not Chewbacca. Is he in Like it? Senator Palpatine was like, he's like the, you know, he's the, you know, the, the dark Lord Sith guy. He's like the main bad guy. And he dies in like, one of the first movies, <laughs> whenever like with Darth Vader, Darth Vader kills him, is and then he's just like, are we, am I, "No, are, is, these are these are well, I guess kind of for you, <laughs> maybe." But like for someone not, who hasn't seen the final movie, are no, you no, 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 not oh, the final no, movie. Got it. Okay, this happens in like like old like in the you know seventies or whatever. Whenever the first movies came out, he like he dies, and then he doesn't really, yeah, and it then it's just kind of again. he's just alive again. Yeah. Do you can it's you crazy. go to the movies without people stopping you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it kind of depends what like what theater, like where we are. If I go back home, like and people would, you know, they kind of know that I'm home. Then it can be a little bit of a like everybody knows that you know I'm there. But people are super sweet, you know. Nashville, can you go to the movie theater without someone stopping you? Yeah, like- I mean, like usually, like we'll we'll get stopped a couple times, especially for it's some, for some reason if I'm like with Hannah because people kind of follow her too. That's more of like an indicator. If Dan and I are together, oh, then I'm people really that, like yeah. yeah. But if it's just like, if I'm just out somewhere, people aren't like, because people aren't really expecting to see anyone that they would know ever. So they're not like looking around, like analyzing, like, wait a, wait a second. I went to True Food Kitchen today to have lunch 
and I was uh, having a, a work talk with somebody from my PR team. Where we're kind of lining up some stuff, and Sam Hunt walks in and comes in. Just he's just sitting over there and grabs his food, chill. He's Sam's a monster. He's a huge guy, guy. huge guy, big beard. Yeah. So like, wave at him, wave back. Does his deal. He's there for like ten minutes. Nobody says a word to him. Walks yeah. out, and I'm like, that's interesting. Nobody. Uh, BK from Florida Georgia Line walks right in, walks up to a table. I say, what up to him? Hey, what up, dude? Get up. He sits down. Nobody. Yeah. He had a hat. You know. Did boom. Um, it, and it was just like seeing, and nobody kind of, it was just cool to see nobody mess <laughs> yeah, with anybody. For sure. Espe- in, especially here. Yeah. And, and then I saw, uh, Thomas Strutt's manager. And so there was just a lot happening. Yeah. And nobody, I went to dinner a couple weeks ago at Adele's. Yeah. So not a super Great. fancy place, yeah, but cool spot, cool spot yeah. close to work. And Reese Witherspoon came in and it's her and her family. They sat right in the middle. Nobody bothered him. Yeah, I just think it's cool. Here. I would have bothered her probably. Well, before she, my rule <laughs> did would you be, bother, did you bother I didn't, her? But my rule yeah. is you shouldn't bother someone if they're with their kids yeah. or they're eating. Yeah, if they have food in front of them. Yeah, if they're not, they know they're famous. Yeah, that's on them. They wanted to get famous. You should go say hi if you yeah. want to say hi. Never be ashamed to be a fan of somebody. Yeah, but if there's food or a kid involved, that's a great rule. Chill. I think it should be like a written rule. If you're eating or if you're with your kids, and even like. It doesn't like bother me insanely if someone comes like because we'll go out to eat at like there's a Mexican restaurant that's by my house it's like our favorite spot we always go there and usually if I'm with with them like there people will wait till like we're done eating and it's really funny to watch people Just which is like and I, I can't out. I can't like do you ever do you do you find yourself like very hyper aware of people I like I, I'm so I, I can hardly like really when we go out and I'm in a place where I just know there's something in like the room that shifts if if someone does recognize you if, if we're going out with like a nicer restaurant and we're like i have my hair all spiked i usually just like wear a hat but if i have like my hair spiked up it's like a better chance that someone might be like who's what that guy's hair is, looks weird so he might be right. <laughs> in nashville so i it's kind of funny i'll be watching like around the room and i can always tell when someone's like kind of just looking over like i think that i think that might be the what what kind of got me was people would take pictures and i wouldn't know i wasn't aware for a while I'm yeah just like who cares about me? And you'd see them later. But then people would post pictures and then yeah. tag me of me like just looking awkward or that's that's the worst. And I would me. be like, I would love to take a picture. Say hi. Mm-hmm. So I don't look mostly for my sake. So I don't look stupid on your Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> like come say hi to me. I would love to take a picture with you because I love I love being out when people come up and they say something. Like I love that people are like like you said. This is something that we got into. It's not like I'm just like hungry for the attention, but like it's I want them to like. If they're there and they're a fan, like I'd love to meet them and feel appreciated and feel appreciated. We don't because get to do it's what like, we do without without people that listen 100%. to your music or come to shows. Yeah, and but people that like they hide it. Like this happened actually recently at that same Mexican restaurant that I'm talking about, and it kind of and I could I knew like the table that there was like two tables around us, and they just they were super sweet. And we're like, hey, I just like love your music. So like, dude, thank you so much. We're there for probably like 20 minutes. We're eating, and I, I, I kind of noticed this lady at the bar, and she was just, you could just, it was all over her face. It was like all she was thinking about was like, when is a good time to like go over there? And I, I wanted to like look, I, I didn't, because you don't want to assume and be like, oh, I've done hey, that. And why don't you come over? Dope. And she's like, no, my, my, my husband's here with someone else. I'm just spying on them. It's fine. I don't know why that was the example. That wasn't what was happening with this lady. But I, I watch her, and all the tables and our friends that were with us watch all of this go down because she gets up. And she walks all the way to the bathroom and what feels like a half a mile of her walking, she has her phone like this, Holding like, like people just like, like she's texting, yeah. but it's like right up against her chest. And I'm just like, we all see you. And I kind of like 
point at the camera, you know, just kind of like jokingly, this. like we get it. Yeah. And I thought like for sure she'd get in the bathroom, look at it and be like, oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed and come over and be like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like film you. She, she comes back and like everybody around the table is like, you know, that woman was like filming you. Right. And I was like, oh, no, I saw. And then she comes back and does the, the same thing the whole way back. The film's all the way back. Never comes over, never says anything. And that's, that's the weirdest to me. And let's make a statement here together. Yeah. Cause I try to say it a lot. I would love to take a picture with you. Yeah. As long as I'm not eating it with my kids that you, no one knows about, my secret kids. Yeah. Like Ben. Yes. John. <laughs> Kevin. I, I, it's a compliment to me. Yeah. But you're right. Sometimes when someone's holding their phone and they're holding it just a little too pointy, you're yeah. like, it's like, we, we know. Yeah. I know. Just, we know. I would love to take a picture. Like, you don't text like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there's a certain way you hold the phone, and that's, that's for sure not it. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. 
Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Natural Dam was how many people? 511. Wow, good for you. I'm 700. Mountain Pine, 700. Solid. Oh, you guys are... We're big doing city. well, We're dude. Big city. I honestly don't think, like it says 511, but that's been there since I've been a kid. And I know for a fact that there's there can't be, unless there are people that are literally living underground. I've never seen 500 people there. Maybe like, maybe 200. So Never seen them. In Natural Dam, what school did you go to? I had to go, so for a while I went to a school in Fort Smith. Union Christian Academy? I went, yeah, that was, yeah, and it was River Valley at the time. So I had to drive. It was kind of, it took like, 50 minutes to get to school because there was there was Cedarville High School and nothing against Cedarville but at the time it was just like it just wasn't a great place to go to school and it was just kind of there was a lot of just stuff going on there my parents were just like yeah we don't think that that's necessarily where we're going to send our kids but uh now it's gotten a lot better now there's you know there's a lot of great schools kind of around there but I ended up graduating from Van Buren High School which was like probably 20 minutes from Natural Dam so it wasn't bad but growing up that was a long drive and I homeschooled till I was like fifth fifth grade what kid were you in high school? What were you known as? Shay is the, were you the singer? Were you the? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, like, for, yeah, a little bit. The trait that people knew most about you was what? Probably, honestly, more that I was kind of like the funny guy, I would say, because I didn't like sing a ton. Uh, I did, like, I, I was definitely kind of known for that, but I was, I was definitely the, the class clown, I would say. Um, but yeah, I did sing at like events, like randomly. I would do like, we had chapel. It was a Christian school, so I, I would sing in chapel. Would it shock like people that. that you were so good because you didn't do it all the time? Uh, yeah, sometimes. I remember when I came to school, because I started like halfway through fifth grade. And so I remember I, I like, they asked me to sing at chapel. And that was like my first, I had, been, I had sang in church and like, you know, done that whole thing. But that was like my first like real world at school. It was like halfway through the year and I came in, sang at chapel. It's my moment. I felt Felt really good. At, at what age did you go? Oh, I'm not just good for here in a, a small town. I'm actually Ooh. good enough to go and try something outside of what I'm accustomed to. Yeah, I, man. Honestly, I was, I was probably, I was eight years old when we first started coming to Nashville because we would make these little trips. Because I would sing with my sisters. I have two older sisters. Erica is the oldest, and then Gabby. Um, and we would sing. We'd travel around and like you know just kind of for fun. We'd go to churches and do the whole deal. Um, and when I was about eight, we came to Nashville. And at that point I kind of told my dad, like, I'm, I want to, this is like what I want to do. That was just like, I didn't know that I was like, people would, I think people a lot of times like kind of assume that I was like this, I don't want to say like prodigy, but like was like always insanely good at singing. And was just like, that wasn't necessarily the case. We just, everyone in my family did it. And I think just for the sheer fact that I was young, people would be like, Oh, he's like, He's really good. But we were in small, you know, this was small towns. So it's kind of like I would take it as, as a grain of salt. And I think my parents would too. Like they knew I was, you know, pretty good, but I don't know that it was, oh, uh, this is going to be your career kind of thing. That kind of came honestly later. And I did it, you know, I was coming to Nashville since I was eight, but it wasn't, I never knew. There wasn't a ton of people that were just like, this is undeniable. Like they knew that I was good, but it wasn't until I was a little bit older where we had a couple people be like, oh, you should, you guys could do this, but it was never, I don't know. You go to college for a year, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you go, I'm going to go, I need to go do music. Yeah. What was the, the, the point in going to school where it clicked? Where I was like, I, it's going to be tough, but I got to get out of school. And I, I actually, it. it wasn't even a real, it wasn't actually a, a school. It was actually a ministry school. 
So I went there. It was like a nine-month program, and I had a full ride to go to like a music school, and I decided right before, because my sister Gabby had decided she was going to go up to Pittsburgh to go to this like nine-month you know, program, and I was just like, I kind of want to, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to do this. And it was kind of that I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with my life. I was about to graduate, and I didn't want to go to school for something that I already felt like I was, I didn't think I was going to like learn. And, and I, if I was going for like engineering or something like that, which is probably what I would have done, I just, I, I, I didn't want to go to school for like a performance major, you know, and like learn how to sing. I just felt like that wasn't really the vibe. And so, yeah, I kind of took that, that nine months and lived in Pittsburgh. Um, and then right after that, I moved back home, which is when kind of the whole T-Pain thing happened. Which is an interesting thing too, because when you can really sing, you can also kind of pick where you sing. Yeah. And even I give Garth as an example. He was singing rock songs. Yeah. He was, you know, he was kind of finding his place early. Yeah. Um, so how do you get discovered by, because uh, what was it called? What was T-Pain? It was called um, Nappy Boy. Nappy Boy. How do you get hooked up with them? How do they see you? What are the steps that led you to go there? Yeah. Did you move to Atlanta for a while? I did move to Atlanta. So I was, so I'd lived in Pittsburgh and my sister was, she had this, uh, she was super good. She a good dancer. Like she was a chore, choreographer and did all this stuff. And she was had met this guy named Mike, uh, who was actually a backup dancer for T Pain. And so we kind of all were hanging out there for a little while. And um, long story short, I, we get back to Arkansas after you know the school after the nine months, and we're there. And I just randomly get like a a text was like, "Hey, are, what are you doing?" And I knew he had worked with T Pain, and I guess he had sent some YouTube video of mine to T Pain and. I was in. I was at Van Buren actually, and I was in a movie. I'll never forget this. And I like, he was like, "Hey, like, he wants to like, you know, FaceTime you or whatever." And I was just like, I was in this movie, and I didn't have any service. And I was like, I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. So I go out of the movie, and my friend was like, one oh, of the managers watching there, a movie. was watching a I movie. Mike, didn't you think he was like filming a starring, movie? Yeah. I thought he was like doing. <laughs> oh, yeah, sling, yeah. I thought he was doing I'm like sling blade yeah. in Arkansas. <laughs> you might have heard of this movie. It's yeah. called Hot Rod. Uh, it was like this little project <laughs> okay. I was working on. So you leave the theater. Yeah. So I leave the th- So I, I walk outside, and I didn't have any Wi-Fi, and the service wasn't good enough. So I had to get on Wi-Fi. I think it was a FaceTime call. I can't remember if that was even a thing then, but either way, I didn't have any service. I had to like go get on the Wi-Fi. So I, my friend was the manager there and like gave me the Wi-Fi password. And I'm in like this back room at the movie theater, like FaceTiming or whatever, T-Pain. And he was like, hey, I want you to come to Memphis. Like we're playing a show there. It was him and Chris Brown. I want you to come, you know, play with us and, and do this whole deal. So I was just like, yeah, all right, let's what do it. What does do this whole deal mean? I didn't, I have no idea. Oh yeah. <laughs> to this day, I don't know what that meant. I, you know those moments like you get the call and you're just like, yeah, whatever it is, I'm down. Yeah. I'm in. That got me into a lot of trouble probably at, at some points in my life. Like whatever that is, I'm doing it. So you, go. do you go to Memphis? I did. I went to Memphis. Do you and, drive uh, by yourself? How, but like, cause I, again, you don't know what's happening. Yeah, so I took an Uber there. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is crazy. Uber actually was not a thing then, I guess. Uh, but my sister, Gabby, she, she drove me up there. So I drove up there with her. We went to the show and met with him and basically go on the bus afterwards and I think it was like T-Pain and his wife and, and Mike and all these people. And I'm just like singing. And just, uh, he was like, I want, I want to sign you. you know. And I didn't know what that, I just heard, you know, I'm going to sign you. I didn't know what that entailed at the time or what that even you know, looked like. But yeah, they ended up, you know, because I, I was writing, uh, even when I was with him, when I ended up signing to him, I moved to Roswell, Georgia, which is out there, you know, just a suburb of Atlanta. And uh, I started writing all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I had been writing like country and I had been writing 
pop. I've been writing like R&B, like all this kind of stuff. But I knew that I wanted to do country. And that's what, that's kind of how he, the song that he had even heard me covering, um, I think was a country song. And so he was like, I, you know, this is what I want you to do. This is blah, blah, blah. And basically what I did for those, that year and a half that I lived in Atlanta was just go into the studio every day till like five in the morning and just like write to beats and, and everything else. And it was just kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of one of those just kind of honing my craft moments of like, I didn't really get anywhere. Like there wasn't, we didn't release any music or anything like that. Um, what was his goal with you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, the, the overall goal, you know, that was kind of like pitched to me was we want to sign you to a major, you know, we want to get you to Nashville at some point, but. So they was, had country music in mind for you. Yeah. Even yeah. though it was T-Pain. Yeah. And we all go, oh, hip hop, R&B. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those things that I didn't even have, like, my sound. I didn't really know what I was doing either. I was just writing songs. And I had all these, you know, songs that I was writing that wasn't necessarily, I mean, they were, like, fine. But it just, it hadn't, my identity was not found yet. You know, I just didn't really know what I was doing. So uh, it's kind of somewhere in there. Um, it's hard to put, unless I looked at a timeline, it's hard to put all this stuff into a timeline. Um, but I remember there was a moment when I was there where I was just like, what? There, we haven't put out any music. We're not doing anything. I have no idea. There was not really, the contract I signed was a 360 and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a lawyer at the time. So I signed this ridiculous deal. Um, and I think it was all good intentions on all parties. But I ended up at some point being like, I've got to go to Nashville. Like I just have to get there. So I was getting, I mean, I had no money because I was getting paid, you know, whatever it was. I think I, I think I was getting paid maybe like, it was like $1,500 for 2000 or $1,500 for like, you know, per month to like live on and stuff. But I was having to pay like $500 for my, you know, my rent in Atlanta. And then I had to pay 500 off the top to like my manager. That was, you know, this guy that had, had, you know, I had met in Pittsburgh. He was now my, my manager. And, uh, so yeah, it was a whole thing. So I, I had about, after, after I was moving to Nashville, I was left with about like $400 to like eat, like pay all, everything <laughs> on after this and go out and expect to like, you know, try to meet people in Nashville, which four hundred dollars in a month is not a lot of, not a lot of spending cash. How did you get out of the deal? Um, it ended up, you know, when I met Dan, uh, it was a whole. I mean, there was a lot of people that that kind of helped me get that out of the deal. And you know, whenever we had we had met, it became kind of like a, oh man, what's what's going to happen because this is this is like a problem. I'm still in this this deal. You Are know? you out of it now? Yeah, yeah. So, but it was yeah that that whole that was a pretty rough little time there for a little while because it was a lot of, there was a lot of feelings, you know, feelings hurt on, I think on all sides. Cause it was just this, I don't know. I want to go, I don't want to go like too into detail about it, but it was a rough time. I think in, in his life, he was, he was going through a lot and it was just kind of, I was just stuck. There was nobody to like talk to. He had, he had gone away to kind of deal with some personal stuff and yeah, it was just kind of, all right, well I'm in this deal and we got to try to figure out, Whenever we were talking to these labels, it was like it kind of became an issue because it rolled really fast. When Dan and I met, and we had kind of met with you know Jason Owen and Scooter, and things were kind of rolling, I was just like, "Well, this is this is a problem." And I was like, I was freaking out because I'm like, "This is a huge opportunity, and we finally got something rolling." Tethered to something, yeah, that you can't get out of, yeah. And it was a full 360 deal, you know. It wasn't Which means like everything you're doing, everything. they have a piece of not yeah. just music, but if you put out a shirt, yeah, if you if touring, you, yeah, everything, all of it. That was yeah, it was a rough time, but we ended up, you know, really, you know, Scooter and Jason had a huge part of of, of kind of getting me out of that deal, and but yeah, man, it was a it was a tough, you know, 
start, you know, because it was just even on that first record, like there was a lot being being taken out, you know, and it was just kind of like, thankfully, I didn't have, you know, a family at that time or no, you know, it's not like I was I wasn't completely broke whenever we had, you know, Dan and I had met and, si- and finally signed, you know, we had like a, a lot more money than I had <laughs> you right. know, to begin with. I was, it was enough to live on, but they they did a, a great job of kind of helping me get out of that. And, you know, Warner Brothers and Espo and all those guys. It was, yeah, everybody was really good. So, so the, the, the legend of the fort, which in different places we've talked about, but you guys <laughs> met in a living room fort yeah. at a house, which you've been back by. I've, I've even seen you guys post it before. Yeah. Um, Dan was living in that house. Yeah. And you went over to the house? I did. So I was living on, uh, I was living with my buddy actually at the time. Um, I had, I was, I was, I think I was maybe, <laughs> I don't even remember if I, if I even was paying him, but I was basically sleeping on his couch for like a little while. His name was Brandon Metcalf. Great guy. And he had a studio and I was like working a lot with him when I had moved to Nashville and kind of had my place. And, um, there was a guy named Andrew, um, that just one night we had been writing a lot and he told me, he was like, man, I, I'm going over to the, these guys house. They had a band at the time. He was like, they're having a house party. Uh, you know, you want to come with me? And I was just like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And at that time, it was just kind of like anytime you could go somewhere without spending any money, <laughs> and you knew that there was like, we knew that there was a keg free there. And inter- I was like, free this entertainment is, and a little bit of great. nourishment. That's yes. all you're chasing. That's all I was chasing. I was like, do you think they got like pizza yeah. or something? <laughs> like, I've been eating in like a couple of days. But it was like, yeah, we showed up at this house, and little did I know that that night was going to completely change my life. You guys start talking that night. When, was it that you said, okay, we're actually going to try something together, which means putting everything else aside. There's, yeah. a, there's a difference in going, hey, we should do something together. Yeah. And going, we're doing something together. I would even say it's comparable to in that part of a relationship where you're just dating. And yeah. you go, we're only dating each other now. Yeah. So that means nothing else can exist yeah. except us. What was that point where you guys finally said, we're just dating each other? Well, it was uh, you know, not until just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we... Uh, it kind of happened, it happened really naturally where Dan and I started writing. Really, I think it was either that next day or like the day after that we had met. We were jamming till probably like four in the morning or something like that. And I think we had decided to write. So we get up the next day and uh, we go, we met at like a Starbucks or something. And then we ended up going to uh, this this guy that I was, Jesse Frazier. I'm sure that he's you're- He's been on this show. I know him and he's been here love before. Love him. Yeah. One of the greatest guys, when I had, for quick side, side notes, this all makes sense. Jesse, when I had first moved to town, I had a friend and I asked him, I was like, who is doing like beats? Because I had been writing to a lot of beats. I had been writing like country songs to beats, uh, which is now like a common thing, but it was just kind of becoming a thing then. And I was like, who is a great track guy in, Na- in Nashville? And the first name that, he, that my friend is Nash Overstreet, which is Paul Overstreet, songwriter. Uh, and he was like, Jesse Frazier. So I started writing with Jesse um, a lot. And then whenever Dan and I had met, I was like, let's go write with, with, you know, with Jesse Frazier or at, at his place. So we ended up writing our first, uh, writing session. I think we wrote two songs that, that day. And one of them got put on hold that night for Rascal Flats. So what you wrote a song that day, Yeah, they sent it out Yeah, maybe to Flats because yeah. they thought, uh, it was sensible yeah. for them that night. It got put on hold. I think it was that night. Yeah. Like when we had got home, they were like, "This is on hold for flats." And for us, we're like, oh, "Things, things are heating up. Wow. Things are really, really good." Which, if you know, you know what a hold is. It's, it, it they never cut the song or anything like that. But for us, it was just like it was legitimately like Rascal Flats heard our song. That was a huge. 
And as small as that, you know, might seem now, you know, in our minds, it's still, it was such a big deal because it was, you know, you have these big dreams when you're coming to town and it was kind of that first taste of like, whoa, this is like somebody who's, who has done it, who is a successful artist has, they liked our song and put it on hold. So that was a huge deal for us. And that was kind of the, the fuel to be like, we should, let's, let's, you know, keep doing this because we liked, you know, what songs we were writing. Would you compare that early part of you and Dan? And I don't mean this facetiously at all. But when you meet a girl, like yeah. when you and Hannah meet, and you're like, oh my God, this is it. Like it's yeah. similar to that feeling with yeah. him as it was. Because if you're writing till four in the morning, that's what you do when you talk to a girl till four yeah. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I don't think for either of us, we just were kind of, it, it wasn't, it was different than when I met my wife. Because when I met Hannah, I literally told my friend Benji Davis, who's a writer in town, he, I told him like right then, it was in Arkansas. It was like our first date. It was at Georgia's Majestic Lounge. And I, I like walked her out to her car and I got back on the bus and I was like, I'm going to marry that girl. Literally said like that night. With Dan, it was like, we were having fun writing these songs. We didn't necessarily, like we thought they were good, but we didn't necessarily be like, we're going to make, this marry is each it. Other. Oh. We're not going to, or, or marry each other. <laughs> Neither one of those were, were on my mind. And I think it just kind of happened naturally to where like, we thought the songs were good, but as you do, you know, when it's, when it's your work, we thought it was good. And it, we knew, I think the most exciting thing for us was there was an aha moment, but it wasn't necessarily like, oh, we're going to be a duo. It was like, this is the kind of music that I've been trying to write. This is all, like everything has kind of led to this. You know, it was like the stuff that I had been wanting to write, but just couldn't, hadn't quite found the sound yet. So are you saying that when you two first started, it was like we found partners in creating more so than we're going to go be a duo? It was exactly that. It was like, oh man, this is like, this is the kind of stuff. It it was like better than any of the stuff that I had been writing in town. And I think for both of us, it was just kind of like, well, this is like, we, we got something special here. So then how long until you decide you're going to actually pursue the artist thing together? Yeah. So we started to, all these songs we've been writing, because we, we did start to write a lot together. And so the more that we wrote, we would just start doing like these writer's rounds and like playing these songs for our friends. And like our friends and everybody were getting hype on these songs. Like, this is the greatest song. <laughs> like we were doing, like we were in 507 uh, Morton Avenue was the place. I, I can say it because we've said it a million times. I'm sure that the owner of that house hates us for probably talking about it all the time. Um, but it was like, I think we would go to, the, we went to the house one time I specifically remember. And I think it was uh, P. Tracy who now does all of our video stuff. It was his birthday. And we, I remember we shot like a, a fake music video for one of the songs because we thought it was so good. And it was just like, it was just ridiculousness. We were having so much fun. And it was just like, man, this, this stuff is really cool. So we started to play all the, all the music out, like rounds and stuff. And then Dan and I, we had eventually like, there was actually an opportunity that we had to go down. Um, and I had booked a show. It was just like Shea Mooney. And we were opening up, we did two shows together without actually being like, a band at all. It was just like he was there with me and we were playing all the songs we had written. And one was at George's opening for Chris Allen. And I thought that we, I thought I made it then. I was like, this is, you know, things are really starting to take off. And then another one we played was at, in Conway um, at, at UCA. There was this kid who, who booked me and I thought it was going to be like the biggest show ever. And I think this, it was in their like little performing arts theater, which probably holds like, I don't know, maybe 1500 people. And there was probably like 15 people in there. <laughs> and uh, right after that, we went down to Austin, Texas, because my lawyer had set up this like uh, showcase, basically, uh, for us. And we went down, we put together a band, the whole deal. Dan and I drive down in my truck, and we ended up playing the show. And it was, I'm not kidding, there was, there was honestly probably like four people in the room. 
and one was my lawyer. One was like a bartender girl in the back. And then our friend Paul Giovanni, which ended up writing uh, How Not To for us, used to be in the band Boys Like Girls. He was there. And then Dan's lawyer. And there was like no other people there. We rehearsed for like four days. And we, were, we thought it was going to be like our big break. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't our big break. But at, at that time, it was, I think on the way back from that trip, we kind of made the decision of like, we've been doing these shows together. Like we should... We should kind of we should do a duo, and I think it's hard to kind of put all this in my mind to like line it up. But kind of when we were writing all these songs, um, there was a guy who had who knew he worked for Scooter Braun at the time. His name was Nano, and he knew Scooter, and he had kind of been talking to to Scooter, I guess, about us. And uh, yeah, during that time, Scooter in, ends up we we're at a writing session, and uh, we had kind of decided like, all right, we're gonna do this this duo thing. And uh, once we kind of decided that was when. Scooter had heard about us, and we were in a writing session uh, at a guy named Danny Orton's house. And there was, he FaceTimes us and basically says, like, I want to work with you. And uh, Ed Sheeran was, was there, which is really funny because he was like, will you guys play that song that I like? It was a song called Stop, Drop, and Roll that was actually on our first record. We had, like, just written it. And he was like, play that song. So we, we played it. And at the end, he was like, my friend wants to hear the song because he really loves it because we had sent him maybe, like, a demo or something. And Ed Sheeran like pops in. He's like, "Hey guys, how are you?" Which <laughs> is like the worst Ed Sheeran impression. Of, hey guys, how are you? And he, yeah, we like sang "Stop, Drop, and Roll" acoustic like over Facetime to him. And that was kind of the start of it. Did you go and play for different labels? Yeah, yeah. I think that at the beginning we had at, at first we had pitched. You know, we we wanted to you know be writers. Was like the whole point. We wanted to you know be signed. We were working with you know some some guys and. Uh, Rohan, who who now works at with us at Warner, who's our A and R guy, um, he was kind of working. You know, we were we were trying to, you know, get all these these meetings with publishers and things. And it was really funny in the very beginning. We were meeting with like everybody because at this point we had we still had zero money, like at all coming in. And Dan and I used to like we would go out to like a, a publishing meeting, and we would always like we would make them take us to dinner. Like we'd always take the dinner meetings because it was like that was free food and drink for the night. It was fantastic. So I think we took out a couple of people, which which now is funny because there's a couple of our now friends in town of like, man, I was a new publisher and you guys maybe take I spent like ten grand on you guys <laughs> and you didn't sign with us and I was like sorry, dude. Uh, but yeah, we were meeting with you know publishers at first and then kind of when we decided to come together, we met with several labels in town and. Um, yeah, Is there ever was, a bidding war for you? A little, yeah, a little bit. There was like at that time we had we'd had all these songs you know that we had written we had you know a couple hundred songs that we had and we were doing all these these demos and everything and we had uh i think that the demo that we were bringing out around to people was like 22 songs that we had had on this thing we're like holy crap and they were and they would they would just go in there and be like all right you know just pick a song and and play it and uh yeah there was a there was kind of a at the end there was sort of you know this little bit of a bidding war but we had kind of we met with with Warner Brothers and we had met Espo and um, I think it was like ten thirty in the morning and we went in and we played with them and they just they were so passionate about it from the very beginning and Espo if you if you know Espo at all he's very passionate about music loves music and it was like ten thirty in the morning and he was like you guys aren't leaving this room until you sign with us and so we were like well this guy's pretty passionate but uh yeah that was it was it was kind of crazy and it's hard to even like remember all that because it, it all happened so quickly after that it's you know people see it as like oh this happened like overnight if you guys just became an overnight success but it was really this accumulation of of me doing my thing and dan touring since he was like 13 years old and it was kind of that moment where it all 
kind of came to a head and it was just like I don't know it was I think when we signed it was it was a uh, it was 2013 when we put out like our our first single like that summer and we were going on like radio tour and it was just like it all it was crazy it was just a crazy time and it's it seems like yesterday and now that I look back that was you know 2013 now here we are in 2020 so I'm, I'm going to come back to 19 you and me in one second okay. but something you said when we were talking about you meeting Hannah and going, I'm going to marry her, is that you walked back to your bus. Yeah. So were you guys touring through Arkansas when you guys went on your first date? Yeah. Yeah. So we had, I had known about her. Like we had a bunch of mutual friends. She was Miss Arkansas. Yeah. So if you go through Franklin, Arkansas, still a pretty big billboard. It's a pretty big deal. So she's, she's a lot cooler than me. Definitely a lot better looking. Uh, But yeah, we were on tour. We were, uh, I want to say it was our first time playing Georges, like legitimately, like as a headliner. And that was like our, our, one of our first times playing there. And I was pretty excited about it because we had like, you know, that was the hometown show. And it was, yeah. And oh. I, we had been talking a little bit. And oh, I basically begged Facebook? her. Yeah, I think it was like Facebook or, or Twitter or something. I don't know. But I'd, I had invited her to the, to the show. And I know in her mind, now that I've like talked to her, she was like, I, this is not going to happen. Because she was like unimpressed. She was like, I'm not going to, I'm not dating a singer, you know. And I was just like, I was doing everything I could that night. Whenever I was like, I knew kind of like I was looking for her the whole time. So you were like looking at her section too. You I was looking at her section, yeah. And yeah. I was, I mean, I was looking. I was smoldering, you know. Now that I know how dumb I look doing that, I wish I wouldn't have done that, but still worked out. But uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. I was looking for her the whole time, being like, all right, I know she's here. And if she wasn't there, I would have been devastated. Well, and if she wasn't there, that section though would have had a great night. They, they got a lot of you. <laughs> yeah. That section. There was for, probably like a couple people in that section that were like, oh, 42 C's feeling it. Like he it, wants, he yeah. wants me. He wants me. <laughs> I'm going to play 19 UME. Here's a little bit of this. Watching that This is the first one, right? It's the first one. Now, you, you know, you, you said a second ago too, and I think a lot of people look at you guys and go, wow, what an overnight success. Everything roses. This song, which did wonderfully for you guys, only yeah. hit number nine. Yeah, it, it didn't even hit that. It went to eleven. Okay, well, my notes has peaked at nine. So one of the charts. Okay. Well, it, I, I think it. I I don't think that it ever peaked. I think it was eleven, like on both charts. And did uh, you feel like when that happened though that, that I mean that was huge, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean it was kind of that. We were stoked. I mean I remember when Nada told us that you know our song was going to be on the radio. We about I literally blew out the speakers in my Jeep, like listening to that. Whenever we found that out, it was like the biggest deal to have a song on the radio and to be like on a radio tour was all like. I can't believe this. It was insane. It felt like hitting the lottery, which really, you know, to do what we do is, <laughs> you know. Then you come off with a next next song here, and "Show You Off" comes out, yeah, and doesn't do as well. No, like my note here says peaked at nineteen. Yeah, it didn't do good, Bobby. It, now, <laughs> and my point in saying this is, <laughs> we, that, we haven't played that song in years. Yeah, so you yeah. don't play it anymore. No, 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 no. I hope that's not anyone's favorite song. It was a top song, twenty, but when a song doesn't do as well as your first one, are you starting to like? Hang your head a little bit? You know, I think it was all kind of, we were just so stoked to be in it all. I don't think we thought about it too much. Because um, it's kind of, it, it would have been worse, honestly, it would have been worse, I think, if 19 You and Me would have been a number one, and then we followed it up with a 19. Since it was kind of this, like, it still felt like, all right, we still have like our chance to like have the song. And I don't think that any of us, like it was tempo, but like looking back, neither one of us were like stoked on that song. We were about 19 You and Me, and it still holds, it's still one of our biggest songs. Because, you know, at that time, it, it, had sold, it was like platinum. It was like a big, you know, it sold a bunch. It did really well for us. But we had put it out to radio immediately when we went on radio tour. So by the time we got to the West Coast, 
the the East Coast had been playing it like they had played it like fifteen hundred times. So like we didn't feel we we knew it went number one in almost like every market, but didn't just not all at the same time. So we were like feeling good about that. But when Show You Off kind of you know didn't do its thing, we we kind of it was kind of a you know like man, I wish that would have done better. But I don't think that any of us was like super passionate about the song to begin with, so it didn't sting as much. But the third one, that was kind of the pinnacle of, or not the pinnacle, but really the, the start of it. That would have been, it. if that one didn't go number one, that's when you start to be like, oh, this is. My connection to show you off is that I remember having you guys up in the studio and because you guys had come in like three times so far. Yeah. And, and mostly it was because we knew each other yeah. more than anything. You guys were really good, but it wasn't because you had a bunch of number ones. Yeah. One, you were <laughs> fun on the air. Um, Two, you were really good on the year, and we had a personal relationship. So yeah. I was like, you guys are coming in. And we did a bit together where you guys came in and sang boys to men songs. Yeah. And it goes up on YouTube. And this is how you guys have kind of affected my life from a side part. We put it together, put it up on YouTube. Scooter, your manager, is watching you guys on YouTube. Yeah. Sees me interviewing you guys, sees us doing our thing where it's like, I'm not great at being on the radio, but I'm great at doing a good radio show. Yeah. And he's like, dude, we should do TV work together. So him and I get to know each other and start working on TV projects together, yeah. which has in turn, layer by layer, I've, I've gotten to work on a lot of projects yeah. just working, but because your relationship with him and him watching you and seeing me. And so that I mean, song, we're fully responsible for your career. My I mean, point if you is, literally if it wasn't look at for it, you, bring in the check for Shay. Yes. <laughs> is, this, is this the part? They said you had something special. <laughs> is, is this what it is? But that song, Nothing Like You, is the one where I'm, or not, Nothing Like You, but Show You Off is the yeah. one where I was like, oh, that was a big part of my career. That's so cool. Because I think you had, told, uh, you had said that before, but that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, once I was with I was with Scooter in a meeting, and we FaceTimed you guys, and you guys were in a car somewhere together. <laughs> I, I did. Um, yeah. I, and I was with Ed Sheeran. Yeah. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I totally remember that. Nothing like you goes number one. Yeah. And so this is a big one, but I tell you, where it really started to seem like you guys were going next level to me was the build up to from the ground up. Yeah. Because I started to hear people go, "Oh, this next song from the ground up is next level." Yeah. Because you had a number one. And number ones are hard to get, and good for you, and great. But and now you're on the path. It took us 47 weeks to but get that. Number did one. you feel like from the ground up was like the first real respect you got from the community of yeah. art? Yes, it was. It was because uh, nothing like you was that song where like it was it was a hit, uh, but it was just kind of that. It wasn't the song that it was just like oh, Dan and Shay like this is this is gonna be it. Like obviously that was it was a hit. But there's a there's a big difference between like a number one song and something that truly like really impacts your career and, and it did for us at the time. You know, we would go out. We were also headlining like these small shows, and you could tell like when we played that song, people would freak out because it was a hit. And I think it was more because they were like, "Yay for us," mm-hmm. and not necessarily, you know, out of that people weren't, you know, it, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of respect factor there. Like you said, like from the ground up was the first where people even in town was like, "Okay, I think these guys might be." here to stay. That's you know? when I felt it was getting legitimate for yeah. you guys as not just singers, but artists. Yeah. And there is a difference. It's yeah. a, it was like a three, again, we'll use the word three, it was like a 360 degree, like everything they're doing is right on. This is it. Yeah. And I think it's that point where we, it was the first time we were really, really excited of like, we, we kind of started to hear even from like the songwriting community of like, damn, like I wish I would have written that song. It was kind of that moment. Like, I don't think there was very many people. We did with like 19 You and Me. There were some people who would be like, that's, you know, that's my favorite song. Nothing like you, like our first hit and show you off. People weren't being like, I wish that I would have written that song. 
there's been times in my career, like I wish I'd maybe didn't write that song. You know, it's like, it, it, I'm thankful for every, you know, ounce of everything we've ever gotten to do. But that was kind of the first song and it was very personal to us too. You know, we had written that about our grandparents and it was, uh, it was kind of that moment where we're just like, man, this is, this is crazy. You know, that's when things started really to, to happen for us. How not two hits. We were talking about Adam Hambrick earlier. Yeah. One of the writers of the song. Yeah. I would play it because Adam had to come out and fill in when I would do um, early Raging Idiot stuff. And so I had to learn this song <laughs> and try to do his background because he would sing it because, you know, if you write a song, you get to sing it. Absolutely. And he's fantastic, yeah. too. Yeah. So, so great. This song goes number one. Now, most of these are number ones. I'm going to bring you up uh, maybe a sore spot for a second. Yeah. Because Road Trippin'. <laughs> it's a little sore. Oh. Heart. Road Trippin' hit number 36. Yeah. So... One, did you want to put the song out? Two, or did you jump off it early or did it just fizzle out? We, we, yeah, we pulled it. We did pull that song because it was, you know, it wasn't that I like hated that song. Like I don't like to play it. Like we don't play it live. It was just kind of one of those moments where it was, it was a tempo. It was something that we felt like we kind of needed and our fans loved it. It was like in, in live, it like did really well. And it was kind of that moment where it, it was the best move I think we could have made in our career even still looking back that was the best move at that time was to pull that song because uh, that that set up you know what the was next, next chapter of your freaking career yeah. when it was like and, and you went from being a strong artist to now yeah. kaboom time when tequila hits it changed the whole world yeah. in my mind your whole world changed everything I don't know changed. what happened in your world uh, everything changed but when this song hit and I remember the lead up to it yeah and I remember talking to Nicole before it came out Nicole Gallion yeah and this song just shook up everything. Yeah. It was that moment where I remember whenever Road Trip, like when we were picking the single, that wasn't necessarily like my my choice. I remember we, we brought in, uh, you know, a bunch of people to be like, you know, what what should be the next single? And, you know, that was it was back and forth between a couple songs. You know, we had, you know, already ready on our last record, or on our, not on our last record, but the, the, the second album. Uh, and there was a couple other like contenders for singles. And the, the problem was, was, you know, our fans we had done this, you know, such a grassroots thing that our fans were like buying the album and they were listening to every song. So it was kind of, it was a little bit tough to, to pick a single because they had already really, you know, kind of taken in that record and were kind of like, you know, they, they, they loved the record, but they had kind of heard all these songs. And I, I don't think that there was any single that we could have put out that would have kind of taken us to the point where, you know, tequila did. And I don't think that if we would have put tequila out in a different time that it, that it would have worked in the way that it did. I mean, it still would have been a hit, but the, the way that all happened, like looking back of being like, all right, we pulled road tripping and now we're going to, this is a reset and we're, we're going to, we're going to do this. It was the and first of a new whole project. Right? It was, yeah, it was the first of a whole new project. And I remember like we had had these, you know, we'd had these songs and we were really excited about them. And we had had, I think like a few like singles uh, that were contenders for like the first thing that we put out there. And I remember Dan and I were in London and we had a talk. Um, and I remember like before we cut Tequila, I was such a fan of the song because I didn't, I wasn't a writer on that. It was Dan and, and, uh, and Jordan Reynolds and, uh, and, and Nicole Gallion. And I remember hearing that song and I was just like that. I want to sing that. I, I think I can, I think that that'll sound good with us doing that. And there was, it was just that moment where like I, I, we were all in and I remember talking with the label and Dan and I were like in this little room we were playing in London I think and uh, we were on tour over there and we had this whole conversation of like we can't there was a lot of people on the label like we can't put out a ballad first we just can't do this and I remember we were just having 
this whole conversation, I was just like, we are, we're putting this song out. This has to be our first one. Dan and I were so like adamant about it. Like, look, this is, we're taking the reins. This is it. And I just remember like making that decision and we put out the song and it was just, you know, the lead up to that. We tried to, you know, we, we just didn't know what was, that was a kind of a scary time. But at the same time, we were very excited because I feel like out of anything we had done, there's like the songs that we had done. Like I was very proud of like from the ground up and even like 19 you and me there and how not to, those were the first times that I felt like I could play something for like my friends and then be like, that's sick. You know, I love that. But tequila was like the moment where everyone was like, Oh my God, like that is, that's crazy. Like this is, it felt cool. Like it, it that song alone, like we put that out. It made us like the cool thing to go see in town when that song hit, it changed everything pretty much like, Overnight. I mean, it was just insane. I still think that it's the song that I've seen screwed over more for awards than any other song in my history here. <laughs> and I say that not joking. Oh, and, man. And well, I know you're, you. you're going to be like, oh, wow, wow shucks. Oh, but, well, shucks. But I do think that. I And yeah. I would even, you know, talking with Dan or Nicole or people that I have, I would be like, I can't believe it. I'll tell you one time I, I was presenting the CMA for Duo of the Year and I was just, and I love John and TJ from Brothers Osborne. Yeah. I have a close relationship with them. But in my mind, I was like, "This is so damaged." This, I've, there's not been a duo that's had a bigger year. They, they, you had been speechless, tequila. You had been touring. I was like, "I'm going to read their name, and then I, they're going to pick me up, and it's going to be a whole, <laughs> we're going to have like the greatest moment." It was popping champagne, and moment. um, and it and it wasn't. And I opened up the card on it was on ABC, and I said, "In the winner for duo of the year," and I saw Brothers Osborne. I called them up, and I thought what they did even then, I think they were shocked because yeah. they give you guys a <laughs> shout out up there. Yeah, which felt like I didn't, we didn't know what to do, like. Uh, <laughs> you're doing good. We'll just be down here. It, it Everyone speaks, panic. I don't know. I can't smile any bigger right now. Speaks to their character to do yeah. that. Um, but I know that it ha- it has to, and I'll speak from personal, and you can say whatever you want. At yeah. times, when you're having great success, but no one is giving you the cred from where you're living, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. And that, and, and you can say, and, but I've had that happen to me too. It sucks. It hurts a little bit. Yeah. And it, at that point, I was like, holy mother. Like, right now, they're not getting it from home. But when they do, they're going to own home. Yeah. And I wonder how you kind of got through that. It was, man, I think I think Dan took it a little bit harder than I did, just inherently, because he, I don't want to say like I don't do anything, but like Dan puts his entire life into this. And I do as well, but I, you know, obviously now, like, I have a family. There are other things that really, you know, and, and that's for him too. You know, everything's changed. He has he has a wife, you know, and pretty much a family with his dogs. And there are other things, obviously, that matter to him. But I think that that really, you know, that was just a lot of months going into making this stuff and and the build up to this. And when someone, when you go and you lose, it just sucks. Like there's never, and it doesn't just suck for for us. You know, it sucks for everybody. It's horrible to lose. And it's terrible to get up there and the whole concept of award shows now that we've like, and after that we won like everything and it was, it was like a, it was cool, but it was just kind of like, it sucks that a lot of artists, you feel like you live and die by these award shows and it's just not the truth. You know, it's amazing to be recognized by your peers, but I think that your peers do recognize you in other ways. It just sucks when it's publicly like you lost. And you had such a monster year like nobody else had. Yeah. I think that to me, because you, the talent is so different and so just, pre, it's premier talent. Every duo nominated premier talent. Yeah. But you guys had, statistically speaking, yeah. in every count, uh, chart, streams, tickets, there really wasn't something. Yeah. Ex- that was what hurt. I think that's what hurts when you know that like, 
it, you don't want to say like we deserve it, but if there is a metric, you know, what is the metric at that point? It's like, cause you hope that it's just like whatever the biggest song was or like the biggest thing was, you would hope that that would win, which is just not the case, which is, it sucks. If you win, it's great. But like, sometimes that happens with artists when it's like, they know like that song probably should have won, you know, and every award show is different where it's, you know, the Grammys is more like a cred thing. It's not necessarily based on like what was the biggest right. song, which is why we were blown away when we, when we did win a Grammy, because it was like, you know, that, that song was very commercially successful. So you're like to win a Grammy for it was like kind of a surprise for us. We had no idea that that was going to happen, but I don't know. It, it does suck, man. Like you're there and they're, they're zoomed in on you and they're just the waiting right for you on, they're on to a knee, say something. And they're on a knee looking in your face, Shay, with a camera. Yeah. And it is from me to you. Oh, dude, closer than that. I mean, it's literally like, it's like a, <laughs> you know, they're up there and you're trying to smile and it's just like, it's a weird thing. It's kind of like if you're there and people, you know, they get crap all the time because there's been in the past, like people having a bad reaction, like what, you know, and they catch that, like, we got you, you know, and they play that over and over again. Like, oh man, like Faith Hill. I have no idea if this ever happened to Faith Hill, but it like, did exactly did, happen did it happen to Faith, to Faith Hill? Yeah, she was like, kidding. And she, she was, was just like, what? Yeah. You know, and whatever that is, but it, it sucks because like, if someone, if someone, it's, turn it around and make it like a lottery. Like there's three people in the room and you're going to win a million dollars and you put three of them and you put a camera on them. What do you think the other two are gonna be? What are gonna do? Whenever they're like, yeah, this this person, and like the other two are like, no, I put everything I wanted on this. Like this is everything. So it sucks. Like of course you're gonna have a bad reaction, but we all know now. Like they'll get you if you're not, you know, bummed out because it sucks. Like for everyone, it sucks, and it's just kind of, I don't know. And it's hard to see like to see other people like you know lose. It, we had we kind of saw the other side of that because every award show after that, we won like everything. And it was just kind of like, this is like, now we're on the other side of this. And it's almost like you're up there. And then you just remember like all these people right now hate us. <laughs> Cause <it's, laughs> it sucks, you know, to be yeah. on the other side of that. And it's just, I don't know. I, I think the most important thing we tried to not, you know, live and die by award shows because it really is the most important thing to us is to go out and to be able to, to sell out shows is like the biggest deal to us. Like we want to be able to play to the most people that we can and for our music to get out there, you know, but it, it definitely for anyone to say like, it, it doesn't matter. Like it matters. Like it, it definitely matters. And that momentum helps like to win an award shows is huge. So it definitely sucks to it, Cause in, in your heart, you're almost like it wasn't good enough, but like what you did and what you put all those hours into of not sleeping for two years to make this record, it did, it wasn't good enough. And that's what like really hurts of just being like, damn, that that's a bummer, you know. Couple more of these real quick. Speechless hits number one, massive wedding song galore. It's the yeah. it's the wedding song, yeah. the video, <laughs> the whole thing was like dialed in. Yeah, like you knew the lane of this song visually, sonically. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, All to myself. Made a lot of love to myself for this song. <laughs> both, so a lot of love. Uh, I'm gonna ask you about ten thousand hours. What was the process like to get a song with Justin Bieber? Were you already talking about doing something together eventually? Or did you have the song and, and Scooter go, oh, look, what, what was that about? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it all started, I mean, we obviously through Scooter, we had we had met like some people, like, we had met Ed Sheeran through him, we had met Justin through him, we had been to LA a bunch of times and we had met Justin a few times and we always thought like, man, it'd be so cool to like, to get Justin on a song because it's like, you know, he's one of the biggest pop stars in the world, you know, and it was just like that in our mind was like, we, of course we want to do a song with him, you know, especially since we have this connection. No one in country has this unique connection that we do, you know, through Scooter. And, um, 
early on, we definitely we wanted to try to you know do something with him. We had pitched some things, and I'm really glad that it didn't happen. Whenever you know it might have happened like a, a long time ago, it would not have been this. This is kind of the first time we had written this song in Nashville. Jesse, Joe, Dylan, and Jordan Reynolds, and um, it was kind of that point where we had written the song. And we're like this. This actually might be perfect for for Justin because in that time, like the the timing of everything of him being you know just getting married and all this stuff, and it was uh, the first time that we felt like we were bringing something to the table where it wasn't just like, can we please get Justin Bieber on our song? It was this would make sense for both of us. This would be, I think, big for for both of us. You know, it would make sense. We had like, because in in before it was just kind of like, you know, we were down here and we're like, can we get, can we please get Justin our song? And then at that point. You know, we're out there like we're about to do arenas. We're a legitimate act, so we can kind of bring something to the table. And um, we just—you never know what's going to happen. It's not like we were like, okay, this is time, and this is for sure going to happen. We didn't know what was going to happen when we sent the song to him. Um, and but he just sent it to Scooter, or did he text? Yeah, we Justin? we had sent it to we uh, JB. We had we had called him. Uh, no, we had just sent it to to Scooter to see if like it was something that he would like before we just like you know sent it over uh, to Justin. And he was like, I think that this this makes a lot of sense and. Justin heard it and he loved it and he resonated with it. I think, like we said, in the same way as we thought that he would like it, he liked it. And uh, yeah, I just kind of we couldn't believe it whenever they were like, "Yeah, this is gonna this is gonna happen." So for for months, like we had his, we got his vocal, uh, and and they had like changed changed some things and kind of made it his own. And it was crazy, like getting that back. We had to sit on that for months and months. Sit on and it was not on the song anyone. and not telling anybody about it. it was like the hardest thing we've ever done because <laughs> it was like. You know, I've literally like in my phone, I'd had, you know, a song with us and Justin Bieber. And it's like, I couldn't even talk about it. But it was just like, because if that gets out, you know, that's like a big, that's a big leak. Like maybe if like they found out we're coming out with a new song, like that's probably not going to, country songs don't really like leak. But songs with Justin Bieber on them, like that's a, you know, worldwide, there's a lot of people trying to find that kind of stuff. So it was a, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy moment. And it, it was weird because I knew, I just knew I had a feeling that it was going to be big for us just because the timing of everything, like the momentum that we had going into this with tequila, speechless and all of myself, it was just that moment of like, people are not going to, they're not going to see this coming at all. You know? And it was, it was crazy, man. Before we wrap, I want to play one of my favorite songs of yours. Uh, it's called your love from 2011. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Smash. Uh, uh, it came in at 173 on the Afghanistan charts. Oh, it was I was pretty big in Afghanistan. Big. <laughs> I can't even go there still. It's so it was so big there. And maybe City Lights with Gabby. Oh yeah. Oh, these were these were great. So what was the goal with these early songs? I was just messing honestly, I was actually recording in Fayetteville with this guy named Mike Bailey, who like kind of looks like you, which is pretty funny. You guys look a lot alike, like the whole deal. He's got like wears black glasses, everything. You're like a much better looking Thank version you. of him. You are, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, he's like the you know, <laughs> almost like the poor man's version of that. Yeah, you know, like the junior varsity. Meeting. The junior varsity. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I was just I was just doing it for fun. I was like a, I think I was in high school at that time, just going to Fayetteville, recording songs for fun in this guy's house, and then I just would put them out. <laughs> and would you send that off to people though, hoping to get that next level, or were no. you just putting them out for fun? No, I was putting them out just like thinking like. You know, every day there are things that go viral. This is probably going to be it. <laughs> didn't. It didn't work out. It didn't happen like that. But I was having fun. I think I probably made, I mean, I literally made like tens of dollars off that stuff. Good for you. I, I still check my CD Baby uh, sometimes. Dang, what yeah. a reference. CD Baby. Yeah, CD Baby. I had CD Baby. Uh, I check music on MySpace? 
Uh, no, I didn't know. I think MySpace had kind of, it had fizzled out a little bit uh, at that time. I think I put like, I would put these covers on Facebook though. That's what I did like all through like high school. I would do Facebook videos and YouTube videos. But yeah, I remember I checked that, that CD Baby account one time because I, I forgot about it because I had this like connected and I, that was, I don't think that like the label or anybody like ever knew like they knew about it, but like they didn't know where like the money was going. <laughs> and I think I checked my CD Baby account, thinking like there could be like some serious change in here. And there was like thirty seven cents. <laughs> it was something ridiculous. Literal change. Literal, literal change. Literal change. So yeah, go out and check that out. Uh, I'm still <laughs> Shea Mooney Music on YouTube. Go check that out. Uh, okay. You're gonna love it. Your name, James Shea. Is it Moon? How do you spell your last name? Your real M O O N E. Yeah, M O O N E Y. It is M E N E Y. N E Y. Yeah, Mooney. Mooney. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting this with a pseudonym. I don't think so. All right. Um, listen, go, let me do a little plug here for you guys. Not that you need it because you're killing the world. Uh, the Arena Tour kicks off March 6th in Nashville uh, with the band Camino and Ingrid Andrus, who's yeah. a great friend and so good. Amazing. So good. All the way through October 31st. And you guys are everywhere. It's hard to get tickets. It just is, it's just really great to see. It's good to Thank see you, people that work really hard crush it because it gives hope to other people who work really hard likewise man it's and, it's really fun also just to to say it is very fun. i think the coolest thing about this town is the people that you do meet and when you get to see them also you know crushing it and having these moments is is fun because you're killing it it just doesn't it doesn't feel like real life for either one of us this is wild and i think a bit too we haven't stopped to take, yeah. to take it in as real for life sure. sometimes yeah and i think for you it's great that you have a kid and a wife because I think there's probably some balance there that yeah. you didn't have before. When I'm home for like two weeks, I forget what I do for a living, literally, which is probably not a good thing. But it, it is just kind of, those are two different worlds. So it's cool to slow down and kind of remember how, how blessed we are to, to get to do this, especially with people we love. Well, dude, I love you. I'm glad love you're here and I'm rooting for you guys. I get nervous for you guys. I get, <laughs> and and that's, that's how you know I really care because I'm like, Absolutely. oh man, I hope this does so good. Yeah. I hope the arena tour sells. I hope, uh, so. But one of these days we have to go and we have to play I don't think they've ever done a concert like Bud Walton Arena. So we'll just go. We'll go do that together. We'll go. I'll do stand-up and open the show. Let's go. And then you guys you guys will play. I would love it. They're working, by the way. This can be our opener. I'm working on uh, getting a, a massive amphitheater in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, are you really? Like for my hometown, yeah. Are you in? Like, yeah. Look at you. And I, and, I, and, I, and, I want, and I want you to be in on it. Yeah. Have look. an opportunity to just talk about it. Let me... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're just talking about it's off air. I, mean, I have literally five, five hundred million now. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I just found that out, which is pretty exciting. So we'll end with that question. Five hundred. It says net worth online five hundred k. It has to be higher, right? I, not after this deal. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. It's going all into the amphitheater. All yeah, right. Yeah. Episode two twenty one. Shay Mooney. Uh, follow my Instagram at Shay Mooney. Follow at Dan and Shay and go see them if they're coming around. They really are even better than you think they will be, which is an amazing thing to say about someone who you already think they're going to be great. So, and I mean that with all my heart, not even thank just saying you, So, All right, thank, thank you. you. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. 
This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.